so one, I want to bring greetings from my wife um, of um, 47 years. Uh, it's just so interesting to me. I remember being very young in the ministry, and I'd, I'd be in a room full of pastors, and I'd always be the youngest pastor there, and I would always be aware of that. And now it's very rarely that I'm in a room that I'm not the oldest guy in the room, and I think I've got to learn how to do that too. So I'm pretty sure I'm the oldest guy in this room right now too, so I think so. <laughs> what? Good. <laughs> the, um, I also wanted to bring you greetings from Ray Nethery. Uh, he was going to send uh, some prepared remarks, which he never did. And all I can say is talking to Ray, whenever I've talked to Ray and the, this church comes up in the conversation, he always refers to Grace Christian Fellowship as that dear church. Isn't that sweet? Uh, and I think he really is a father uh, in the faith to this church. Uh, I mean, obviously his investment here, not only to Greg, but to all of you in the theology course that he did, I think it was four times, he just really invested his life in it. And this is, to him, a dear church. And uh, so received that from Ray. He um, really, really can't be here uh, at this time, uh, at this stage in his life. So as Greg said, I met him in April of 2003. I had been the president of the ARC for two years, and I was still trying to figure out how do you do this? Who are these people, and how do I lead these people? Not that it was just some huge organization. It never has been. But if you've never done it before, you've never done it before, and you've got to learn how to actually pull that off. So, um, And I did. I remember meeting Greg on the steps and talking to him and... Um, and, and, and then also remembering that particular conference was my friend Jim Olson was the speaker. I entirely forget what he talked about. He's still a very good friend, but I don't remember what he talked about. I have been to so many conferences <laughs> over the years. And I, you know, I like conferences, and I was thinking about going to retreat centers and conferences. I'm guessing well over a thousand conferences and retreats and um, whatevers, and... Uh, it's just, um, at any rate, it's great to be here. Here's what I'd like to do. I have uh, a threefold task that I think is from uh, the Holy Spirit to actually bring to you. Uh, one is to help you to remember your roots. Who are you? Uh, so one, I want to help you remember your roots. Secondly, I want to rehearse with you the details of your DNA. Uh, you have a spiritual DNA. Uh, I've observed it, and I want to rehearse the details of your DNA with you. And finally, I want to call you to a renewed commitment to give yourself in mission to this city called Dayton and to the people in this city called Dayton. And so that's what I would like to do. And are we, we are actually on here, right? And I sweep to the left, John, or to the right? Toward the left. Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. That's helpful, John, to know that. Um, the, um, first of all, uh, as I talk to you about your roots, I'm going to do it from two angles. 
I'm going to talk to you about your roots from the far past and then from the near past. So, um, firstly, I, I, I do it. I didn't. It's, it's going to be a ride, John. The whole time is... <laughs> I need lots of help. Um, one of the things that we have to be clear about, that you have to be clear about, is that your foundation as Grace Christian Fellowship went, started, way before 15 years ago. Um, your, and, and I would say it started 2,000 years ago in Jesus, and I'd be right... But, if I, but I could push it even further uh, back to before time, you know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually take the, the far past, which is I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, and then the near past we'll talk to you about 15 years ago. But it's, but it's important, it's crucial. It's crucial to understand this, that no one can lay any foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of this church is Jesus. It's what has happened. And so I want, I want you to come back with me to the far past of 2,000 years ago and understand this, that Jesus Christ, and we sang about it so wonderfully this morning uh, when we sang Holy, Holy, Holy. I can never sing that hymn. I can't. I cry through the whole thing. It is so much the core of who we are. I try to sing it, but I, I can't. And, and I'm not saying I'm more spiritual because I can't sing and I cry during that hymn. It's just that I can't. I try. But it's so completely powerful. The, the statements we make in that hymn are so completely powerful. Here's what happened. In the roots of Grace Christian Fellowship, 2,000 years ago, the incarnate Son of God, who was with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past, literally becomes a truly human being and is born of a virgin and lives in Israel, lives in Nazareth, and becomes a political refugee to, to Egypt. Um, what we have to understand is that that really happened. That Jesus really is God. That Jesus became a human. And in fact, he lived out his 33 years on this earth as a real human being. Breathing air and living among other real human beings. And that Jesus was, is, in fact, the Son of God. That Jesus, as John said in his prologue, in his gospel, he said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The, words, the Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything that has been made has been made by him. That's who he was. That's who he is. Literally, remember John Piper saying this one time, that every molecule on the face of the earth belongs to him. Every molecule on the face of the earth is his. You're his. These pews are his. This church is his. This is all his. Everything belongs to him. He's the sovereign over all the earth. He comes from heaven and lives his life in perfection on this earth. I want you to think about it. 
for 33 years, there was not a moment or second where his life was not fully tuned into his father. There was no sin whatsoever. There was no variance. There was no downturn at ever. Along the way, nothing happened in his life that there was any kind of frown from God upon it. It was always totally open and totally perfect. He was totally sinless. Am I right about this? You're looking to me like a little bit. You don't be. <laughs> he was totally sinless. And so he became, as it were, and, and reflecting back on the Exodus, he became that lamb, that perfect male lamb that had no spot, who was slaughtered and his, that blood was put on the doorpost. And so the Passover occurs because the angel sees the blood and passes over. That's the one that now God says, I'm, that was just a symbol. That was a, that was a mirror of what's really going to happen, that the Son of God himself becomes the Lamb of God whose blood was shed. So think about it. He lived in eternity past with the Father and Son. He comes to this earth. He lives on this earth for 33 years and is perfect. All day long for 33 years. All, all year long, he's perfect. There's nothing, there's no variance at all. And as a result of that, and he knows this is happening, he becomes then the sacrifice. He literally is impaled upon a Roman crucifix and hangs there naked before, between heaven and earth. And in, 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 a, in this moment as he dies, this is, this is the crucial moment still of our lives and our foundation. At that moment, there is th that there is this movement toward what the Father looks at as, as his kingdom coming to this earth. I don't know how many of you ever saw Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. There were pieces of it that were a little odd. And, 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 but there was one piece that when Jesus dies, there is this, I don't know if you remember this. How many have seen it? Okay. But there is this teardrop that comes down from heaven you remember this? It just got me. I mean, I don't think that actually happened. But, I, but what did happen, that, that God was, the Father was not sitting up in heaven stoically watching his beloved son, with whom he was well pleased, hang on this cross as if no big deal was happening. This was the biggest event in human history. That that occurred and because that occurred, you can be forgiven. Because, because amazingly, as Isaiah says in chapter 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him and cause him to suffer. It was the will of the Lord to crush him and cause him to suffer. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not have to perish but would have eternal life. That's why. That he could observe and watch, but not stoically, emotionally, to watch that 
occur. This was no small thing. This was the beloved son. So, Jesus dies, and they bury him. And three days later, God raises him up. And this is to our great benefit, that Jesus is raised from the dead. He was dead, and now he's alive, and he's presently alive. He is, I love doing this. I go to, I go to different churches, and I, this one church in particular I go to in Wisconsin, and I, before I preach, I say, he is risen. And they said, well, you can't say that. It's not Easter. And I said, oh, yes, I can. Because he is still risen today. And he's risen indeed. And, but I, I love to say that. I love to, I'd love to say it every Sunday. But, and I, I might. But, I, but the point is this. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who made heaven and earth, who owns every molecule, became a human, died on a cross, was buried, was raised from the dead, is alive presently. And alive for you and me. And more than you and me, he is alive for us. So the church, is, so the foundation, you, you, you can't lay another foundation. Well, you can. You can lay all things that you can call them a foundation. They're not. For a church to have its foundation, it's Jesus Christ alone. We sang it last night. I love that hymn. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Do you like that hymn? I love it. Because it is. It's the one foundation. It's what we absolutely must live upon, lean upon. I just finished a book that I want to recommend to you. In fact, you need to read it. It's um, N.T. Wright's book on the biography of Paul. And I like N.T. Wright. I don't know how you do with him, but I think he's wonderful. This book is spectacular. And one of the things that was so wonderful about this book was... His constant reference to the gospel, the simple understanding of what Paul was preaching to all of these churches through the book of Acts. But but N.T. Wright, it must have been 50 times he said the same thing over and over and over again, and my heart leapt every time. Honestly, it's like, that is it. We proceed from... This death and this resurrection, we proceed from that, and the giving of the Spirit actually joins us to all of that in a wonderfully unique way. That's who we are. That's who this church is. You are rooted in Jesus Christ, and you must repeat that foundational principle all the time. I heard it in Sunday school this morning. I've heard it in all the hymns, but but you can never get tired of it. As if, oh, I know that. No, you don't know it all yet. You're still learning the gospel. You can never get down to all the layers of the gospel. You have to hear it and hear it and hear it. You must hear it. And when you hear it, you need to delight in it. This is the reality that shapes our lives. Our future is rooted in this foundation. So, number one... Uh, that is the far past of uh, your foundation um, in Jesus. But you also, in your near past, you have some foundational things that have occurred. And so what I'd like to do is talk to you about these three things. I think 
These are the three core values of the ministry of Jesus. I also think that they are the three core values of this church. Um, And as I've talked to Greg and to others along the way and watched over these 15 years, I understand that sacrificial obedience has occurred here over and over and over. And in Greg and Catherine, financially, regarding time, regarding energy, regarding effort, regarding actually prioritizing this work of God first in their lives. So I'm the kind of a guy, I'm I'm from the East Coast, I'm from Connecticut, and I married a woman from northern Minnesota. And um, uh, I, I remember talking to Greg at one point and saying, Greg, how much of your own money have you put into this? Uh, and he told me. And, um, and when I told that to my wife, she said, you didn't ask him that, did you? I said, yeah. I said, I'm from Connecticut. And um, that's what we do. <laughs> but, but you don't do that in northern Minnesota. You never would ask that. You would just, that was just, you don't, it's none of your business. And I said, well, I think it is my business. I'd like to know. And, um, and so, and, and, and really, when I heard it, I said, that is, that's, that's, that's a Jesus thing. That's an investment that goes beyond what I, I would expect. But, but I think he did it because he recognized the foundation of sacrifice that he was brought to life on. Brothers and sisters, the sacrifice that you have been brought to life on is before you. I call you freshly to the sacrificial obedience. There is nothing, there is nothing that you sacrifice that you lose if it's done in his name. I think it was Hudson Taylor when people talked about all his sacrifice when he went to China, he said to them, I have sacrificed nothing. I am responding to sacrifice. And really, you are. You are responding to the greatest sacrifice in the world. And that's part of your foundation. That's part of the foundation of Jesus. Did Jesus sacrifice? I mean, beyond Beyond the cross, did he sacrifice? The answer is yes, in case you're wondering. It's yes. He sacrificed every moment of his life. I want you to think about this. The Son of God, who made heaven and earth, was raised in Nazareth. Someone tell me something interesting about Nazareth. Sydney. It was the armpit of Israel. Yeah. It was, it was about the worst place you could be raised in Israel. That's the place the father chose for his beloved son to be raised. That's the place. So I want you to think about the son of God who created heaven and earth every morning for 33 years waking up in Nazareth. What does he find in Nazareth? He finds very small people with very small thinking. He finds a lot of legalism. He finds a lot of despair, no hope. Every morning and all day long in that carpentry shop, there is nothing that is compelling about being alive in Nazareth. That's where the Son of God was raised for 33 years. He was raised in that town 
And he was raised in a town where there was despair and frustration. And they also had a bad self-image, I think. They, people didn't think much of the town. That's where he's raised. That's where he's living day by day. And so you live in Dayton, and I don't know that Dayton is Nazareth, um, but I, I think it probably has some similarities to Nazareth. And, um, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Here you are. This is where God has placed you in this church, in this city, and both of those things need to be considered. That in fact, it's been God himself that has brought you to this church, to this city, and that should be compelling enough. So, number one, the foundation really is Jesus, and it was really built on his sacrificial obedience. For instance, let me, one, more, one more thing about his sacrificial obedience. What was it like for him to raise these 12 men who are going to follow him. Was that fun? No, it was not. Uh, I'm sure they had good times. I'm sure they... But he was working with 12 very broken men. Apostles, called to be something more, but they... I mean, just, just even the regular argument they had about who the greatest was, would that be discouraging to you if you were the son of God seeking to raise something up? that on the Last Supper, they actually continued to have that argument. Do you know that? Luke 22, they're arguing and the Last Supper about who the greatest is. Was that suffering and sacrificial obedience for Jesus to keep going? I would have said, you are all fired. You are, I am done. Uh, I gave it my all. But I'm done. He dies for them. He dies for them. But he suffers as he has suffered you, as he has suffered me, he has suffered us because that love that suffers is the only kind of real love that there is. I, I, we have six kids, and I think that one of the great exp expressions of suffering is being a parent. Now, I love my children. I love all six of them, um, and I love my Eight grandchildren, and number nine's on the way. I love them. But I'll tell you, it was suffering to raise these children. I mean, think about it. Your, your child picks something up, and you say, you need to put that down. Put that down. Look at me. Look at me. Put, come over here. Come over here. You need to give it to me. Give it to, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I did forget to say please. I, I, have, I have asked my children to forgive me so many times. So. But, I, but here's what I'm saying. To raise children is to suffer. Is to, I mean, it's not, you're not, you know, suffering in some cross kind of way. But there's something so challenging. They just don't get it. They don't understand. I have to teach them that... I'm the boss. <laughs> I have to teach them. I, but here's the thing. It's the same in a church. If, if you really are going to love one another, you will learn to suffer each other. You'll learn to put up with each other, to forbear each other, to look past the brokenness, to care about each other. Brothers, are you, are you hearing me? If Dayton is going to see a clear reflection of Jesus, it will be in large part because you love each other. You have to preach the gospel for sure. The gospel is powerful. But 
but Leslie Newbigin, who is one of my favorite theologians, said, the real hermeneutic of the gospel is the people of God loving one another. That when the people of God love one another, I don't have any response to that. I have to look at that and say, wow, that's real. That's real. Now, I'm not saying don't preach the gospel. Preach the gospel, but love each other. When Jesus prays in John 17, Father, I pray that they'd be one that the world would know. What did he mean? He meant that. The world can say no, no, no to all of your great ideas. They cannot say no to a group of people loving each other. That is compelling. So, are you hearing me, Grace Christian Fellowship? Love each other. Suffer each other. Suffer one another in the name of Jesus. Suffer him. Suffer each other. So, number two is devotion to the word. This was, in fact, one of the core values of Jesus. I want you to think about, for instance, uh, as he's driven out into the desert, um, or goes out into the desert, and he meets the devil out in the desert. This is in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, in both. How does he respond to the devil? Help me here. How does, how does Jesus respond to these three particular temptations that we see. I think there were probably many more temptations in those 40 days, but let's, those three, how does he respond? It is written. He literally quotes the word of God three times. Now, I simply want to put it to you this way. If that's the way the Son of God who created the world talks to and resists the devil... How should we do that? How should we think about that? How do we resist ourselves? I would say very few Christians resist by quoting the scriptures because they believe the scriptures. Uh, There was a teacher that came in the 70s and I didn't like him that much. Um, But he he really exhorted people to um, memorize the Bible. And so I did do that. And so I think I memorized 25 chapters of Scripture. Very impressive, isn't it? I forgot 15 of them, and, um, but I, I kept 10. And these 10 chapters of Scripture I use to begin my prayer time through the week, um, a couple of them each day. It's crucial for me. It's crucial that I let those words pass through me and reorient my thinking day by day to understand that I proceed out of that word, out of, that, out of the spirit that inspired those words. Let, can I give you an assignment? You don't. Yeah, I'd like you to do it. I, I really would. How many of you think you know Psalm 23? Could you memorize it? You could... You could say it. Actually, uh, maybe, John, maybe, John, you have. For the rest of you, you think you know it, but you don't. I want to encourage you, it's, it won't take you that long, to memorize Psalm 23. And then I want to encourage you to pray Psalm 23. It is stunning. It's a stunning prayer base. This is what David understood. David, the man after God's own heart, has this revelation from God of who he is as a shepherd, and he literally pours that out. It's ours, but it's also a phenomenal, incredible prayer base. So I'm going to come back again another time 
And I'm going to ask you if you did Psalm 23. I want you to do it. Amen? No, really. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm coming back. So. <laughs> okay. It is, um, it is this devotion to the word that I um, just want to take a little more time on here. Let's see. Do I go left or right? Went the wrong way. Okay. Sacrifice, and, and talking about sacrificial obedience, and I'll weave it into devotion to the word. Sacrifice always implies a level of suffering, right? So, so the sacrificial giving of yourself to your children will cause suffering. I want you to think about this verse from Hebrews 5. It says, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, became a source of life for all those who would believe in him. Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered, and being made perfect became a source. Here's what I want you to think about. The suffering that, that, that Hebrews is talking about is not the cross. It's everything before the cross in the incarnation. Everything before the cross of the Son of God actually enduring the brokenness of human beings and loving them despite their, and giving himself to, the beast, including the disciples, he learned obedience. Did he need to learn obedience and did he have to be made perfect? Wasn't he always perfect? In his humanness, the father was actually making him a perfect offering for sin and he learned that obedience through what he suffered along the way for those 33 years. How... <sighs> Are you going to be made perfect? You're going to be made perfect. You're going to learn obedience through what you suffer. Now, again, when, as soon as we start thinking about suffering, we're thinking about this agonizing, horrible stuff. It is, it is as simple as the person that you're talking to, maybe the person who's next to you. Um, I've looked at John and Emily. I'm not talking about you too. But the person <laughs> that's next to you that's difficult to be with, difficult to talk to and you don't want to talk to them because they're painful to talk to. Anybody got anybody like that? Mm. <laughs> of course we do. And that's the person, that's the person that you learn obedience from. You, that sacrificially you continue to give yourself to that person that you don't want to love, you don't want to care for, and you will be made perfect, as it were. And what's the last part of that verse? You will become a source of life for others. Now that's Jesus on, on a level that we'll never attain, but we proceed from Jesus, we proceed from him, we learn obedience through what we suffer, and we get perfected, and we become a source. Are you with me here? This is crucial. And any sacrifice will imply a level of suffering. But suffering is central, and the right kind of suffering is central to you being made perfect and becoming a source. You have to learn through that kind of suffering. So, the, secondly, what, I, what I'd like to say about devotion to the word, of course, Jesus was devoted to the word, and uh, I think I have another. This is what Jesus said. I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth. He said, I don't seek my own will. As I hear, I judge. So this is, this is what Jesus is saying. He was in constant communion with the word from his father. That's how he lived. That's how he lived. And that's his devotion. His devotion was to his father and the spirit in that way, to live in that word. And it was not living for myself. I live for the will of someone else. So do you. That's your call, to live for the will of someone who is not you. To live for the will of God. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, I can do nothing. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, here's what I love about this church. I see the most sincere devotion to the word of God of any church I've ever seen in my life. This week, on November 15th, I will celebrate 48 years as a believer. This church, honestly, has the most devotion to the word of God that I've ever been around. And I celebrate that with you. Jesus celebrates that with you. But here's the thing. You have to sustain that place. You can't say, we're the best. <laughs> You've got to understand that, that every moment that you're breathing air on this earth, there is, there is a movement against that word having place in your life. You, you, don't, you don't sustain that place by, with any kind of passivity. You're, you actively give yourself to it. What I love about Ray is that how, I think it was four times he came down here and did the theology course. And I sat in on it one time and I was just stunned. I was stunned by the young people that sat through that theology course and studied and gave themselves to it. Sometimes, a couple of times they'd go through it, right? And uh, so anyhow, I just want to applaud you for that. I mean, it says to give honor to whom honor is due. I applaud Ray. I applaud you. I applaud Jesus. It is, um, it's, it's so important that you have given yourself to the word of God. And I love that this church is so centered on the word of God. Um, well done, John, Greg. Really, well done. It, it is wonderful. So, I think that, that also is... Um, one of your core values. Uh, but the third core value that I want to uh, end with is this, that this church, let's see, I, I gotta go back to, let me, get, let me just go back there a minute. Here we go. The last one is contextual mission. That's a, kind of a goofy word to put in there. But it is, this church has done a great job and what I would call a contextual mission. As the president of the ARC for those years, eh, where am I at here? <laughs> ah. I used to brag about this church. Um, I was a pastor of, I planted three churches. Um, the last one I planted was Christ Community Church. It was really a good church, incredible leadership team. Uh, but we were terrible at outreach. Uh, we, we talked about 
the, the need to build worship and community, which we were really pretty good at, but the need to also build outreach. And we just could not, we couldn't pull it off. We didn't get out there in a way that actually worked. I used to brag about this church. I said, they are out there. I came uh, numbers of times and I was, uh, went with Greg once to uh, Kids Rock what? Huh? Kids Rock House. And, uh, and I thought, no, I don't know, what are they doing? Who knows? And um, uh, I, I was very impressed because, it, because, again, it was giving yourself suffering to little kids who just needed help. And I watched these, these folks do it, and they were wonderful. It was wonderful. And then I went out to Wright State for the Wright State Ministry, and I was deeply impressed. And so many people who have come to this church are from the right, that, those ministries. And I applaud that reality that's taken place out of Grace Christian Fellowship. The outreach that has gone on. The contextual mission. You got right state? Go to right state. You got these elementary schools? Go to these elementary You got whatever you have, you have to give yourself to it. So Jesus says at one point... He went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease, every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Brothers and sisters, outside these walls, within these walls as well, there's just an unusual amount of harassment and helplessness. And here's how I describe it. I don't know if you ever, any of you have ever gone through this. Have you ever gotten caught with a, uh, by a hornet's nest somehow? You, you banged it and the, the hornets got out? I want you to picture a person, me, with um, a swarm of hornets coming on them. Does that feel like harassment? That, that's just kind of almost the worst kind of physical harassment. All these bees, wasps, trying to, trying to take you down. And then helplessness. You're out in the middle of nowhere and you're helpless. And, and somehow the hornets don't stay there so you can run away. They follow you as you try to run away. So you're harassed and helpless. And you know what? So much of the world, so much of the world around us, although they wouldn't put it into a wasp-hornet motif, are harassed and helpless. They don't know what to do. They need to hear this gospel that you know. You need to bring it to them at whatever level that Jesus instructs you. Right state, great. Kids Rock House, great. Wherever else, great. But here is your calling. You're here not for yourself, to have a nice little church so you can be together and everything can be just nice. You're here for him, for them. That's why you're here, for him and for them. And so, and so Jesus says this, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Labor. Suffering, difficulty, frustration, but goodness and glory and the very presence of Jesus who literally went to the harassed and helpless. Lepers, broken people, hungry people, people that nobody wanted to be with, he went to them. You come from that foundation. That's who you are. That's your DNA. 
This is your DNA. Sacrificial obedience, devotion to the word, and the contextual mission of relating to Dayton, Ohio in a way that actually speaks so much of who he is. And so this is literally the last frame. I'm almost done. The future path of Grace Christian Fellowship is engaging the reality of Dayton, Ohio and its deep brokenness with the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you hear that? That's who you are. That's where you need to go. And it's this Jesus, this incarnate Son of God, who will stir you toward that every day that you're alive. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this church, and thank you for this building that you've given this church, and thank you for your intention to actually use this church to engage the brokenness and harassment of Dayton, Ohio. You came, Jesus, you did it yourself, now you send us in the same spirit. So God, help us. Direct our path. Bless these leaders. Uh, bless these two new elders, Anvesh and John, as they engage this whole thing with the other elders and help them to see you, to find your way and to sacrifice and to obey, to be men and women of your word and to engage the brokenness of this world. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.